on the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It is yet another start to yet another week and my goodness me, it's already quite busy, isn't it? We've got all sorts of migrant stories to talk about this morning. I'm delighted to say we're going to be joined uh, by Lord Stuart Jackson. Uh, first up, we've got Peter Hitchens on the show. We've got Al Mehmet on the show to talk about it all as well. And of course, we've got some crime uh, to discuss because it turns out uh, that lo and behold, the police have managed to lose about 500 sex offenders over the course of the weekend. Uh, we learned this because uh, we've been told that they're definitely going to track them down. They're definitely going to get them back under their control and they're definitely never going to let them just wander the world uh, wondering whether they can ever do any of the things that they did before some of these people are serious sex offenders rapists paedophiles and yet somehow uh, they were being monitored but aren't anymore seems to be something very very wrong we've also heard that half of crimes solved by police result in absolutely no charges whatsoever i mean call me old-fashioned i just want the police to arrest the bad guys charge them and try and ensure that they deliver them to the justice system so that they can then be punished for what it is that they've done. Whether that includes a sentence in a prison, whether that includes custody or not, I'd just like to know the system's working properly. What I wouldn't like to know uh, is that the system isn't working properly, and that would appear to be the case at the moment. Also, we're going to talk about migrants this morning because there's a couple of plans afoot. Uh, Apparently, ministers are starting to suggest that if we can't get them to Rwanda, don't worry. We'll take them to Essential Island instead, which is quite a long way away, thousands and thousands of miles away, in fact. Uh, But don't worry, it's a British protectorate, so it's a British sort of colony, if you like. Uh, So we actually own it. So uh, you wouldn't have all of the problems that you'll have trying to convince a third country to take them. Well, why didn't we just go to Ascension Island in the first place? Would be my question. 0344 499 1000. Lord Jackson will also be addressing uh, Sir Tony of Blair because he apparently thinks that we should be rejoining the European Union at some point in the future. Meanwhile, Keir Starmer uh, has decided that he thinks that Just Stop Oil uh, are, in fact, a bad organisation. He doesn't like them anymore. Deary me. He doesn't like their tactics particularly either. Uh, Peter Hitchens will be talking about Trump. He's going to introduce you to the Liberals who condemn Trump's failed pooch, but happily condone a real one. Well, what would you know? Also, of course, coming up, we're going to talk about the sunbed battle that's going on currently uh, in continental Europe, all over Spain, all over uh, parts of Greece, all over uh, parts of the Canary Islands, apparently. Uh, The Brits and the Germans are at it once again, up to their old tricks. People are getting up at five o'clock in the morning just to get a sunbed. I mean, that is not any kind of holiday at all. And finally, electric cars. The latest nonsense from the electric car brigade uh, is that you will turn the pavements into obstacle courses. And we've got the Royal Society at for the blind, the National Federation of the Blind, uh, saying this is absolutely ridiculous. People are plugging in cars, running leads across pavements and plugging them into their houses. No wonder nobody can get around. If you're in a wheelchair, it's really positively hazardous. 0344 499 1000. We'll take your calls, of course, as well. This is the one place for common sense. It's the home of common sense. It's the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Good morning and welcome. It's the 7th of August. It's already into the first week. We've already nearly finished the first week of August. Where's it all gone? I was up at Edinburgh at the weekend taking part uh, in a festival of fun. Uh, It was myself and David Davis MP against uh, Mick Lynch from the RMT and Alex Salmon. We're going to try and talk to uh, either Alex or David a little bit later on. Uh, Great fun was had by I was in the Spiegel tent. Uh, Terribly woke up there at the Edinburgh Festival, I must tell you. But a couple of funny stories to impart, which I will do over the course of the next three hours. First up, though, let us talk instead to Lord Stuart Jackson, uh, Conservative peer. Stuart, very good morning to you. 
Morning, Mike. Very nice to see you. Um, my favourite story of the day so far, we'll just, we'll just mention it at the top here, is the Taliban racking up £125,000 worth of parking tickets uh, and not paying the bill on the grounds that they've got diplomatic immunity in London. It is pretty crazy, but unfortunately, <laughs> whilst we accept the Taliban, rightly or wrongly, as the legitimate representatives of Afghanistan in the UK, they are a sovereign country, and therefore they're signed up to this thing called the Vienna Convention, which uh, precludes us from chasing down debts for things like parking tickets and traffic offences from diplomats. Yeah. So. Sadly, if we do it for Canada, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, etc., we have to do it for them. Um, it couldn't we, couldn't we to just be... sort of tow their cars every now and again and just pretend that we forgot that they had diplomatic plays and go, oh, terribly sorry about that. But then again, you did stone some people to death. But by all means, come down to the pound um, when it's not open and, and we won't let you in. Well, of course, most decent uh, right-minded people in the UK will find it offensive that we even give them the pretense of diplomatic recognition mm. because they are a medieval regime yeah. uh misogynistic uh backward looking but unfortunately we took a decision or rather joe biden took a decision supported by the british government to leave afghanistan uh although according to my former colleague uh, tobias elwood everything's uh, tickety-boo in afghanistan it's yeah. wonderful according to his recent video yes uh, well recently taken down video you mean yeah, I mean, it was just one of many stupid errors made by Tobias Hellwood over the years. Um, but, um, you know, most people, most sensible people will uh, understand that, you know, that this is a deeply retrograde and unpleasant regime. But unfortunately, they are signed up to the Vienna Convention, yes. so we have to abide by it. Yeah, I'm told by my representative in Kabul that uh, the penalty for parking on the double yellow line in Afghanistan is three points on your licence and you get stoned to death. <laughs> don't give Sadiq Khan any ideas yeah right? actually yeah you're right Yeah, I shouldn't, shouldn't have done that he's probably responsible for going, letting them all off <laughs> let's talk about uh, the migrant problem uh, speaking of that because of course uh, we're hearing this morning that Ascension Island uh, might well be a destination uh, possible for people who don't make it uh, into the asylum system here in this country seems to me the Ascension Islands might have been a better idea in the first place given that it's actually a British kind of uh, property if you like Yes, I, I agree. I think the British public, broadly speaking, do want to have a solution to this ongoing issue of stopping the boats. And obviously, it's one of the Prime Minister's key objectives, as outlined at the beginning of this year. Yeah. What they don't want is this endless briefing and changing of, uh, of nuance about it. They want laws. I mean, we did pass the uh, Illegal Migration Act, which we were told was never going to get through the the, the Lords, it did get through the Lords in the middle of last month. It has now got royal assent and will give teeth to the government. But what we need is action now. And I think in the run up to the general election next year, people are going to want to see uh, initiatives like, for instance, returning as many Albanians as possible to that country. They're going to want to see tough action in the channel and they are going to want to see a long term solution. But to be Frank, Mike, the only way we can really deal with this is to remove ourselves either temporarily or permanently from the European Convention on Human Rights, because it's that legislation that prevents us taking the more robust action that we really need to do in dealing with this 
perennial problem because it's not going away. And as economic uh, and climate change and other issues uh, arise throughout the world, you will continue to see many, many more thousands and millions of people try to move to Europe and the UK. Yeah, absolutely right. Funnily enough, um, you know, once again, we've got this Bibby Stockholm story rearing its head this morning. You know, we're told there might be some migrants arriving to go on to that. There might not be. Nobody seems to have terribly sure what rights they'll have once they are on it. Uh, it seems pretty clear that they'll be able to freely come and go, uh, whether it's by means of a taxi into town or a bus or whatever it is. You know, it seems to me that, that, that as you said, the problem's not going away because as long as people can come here and, and manage to gain access to the country, they're not going to stop coming. So we surely have to find a way to deter them from doing that. Yes, and the only way you can do that is to change the legal regime because whilst our courts um, interpret legislation, particularly our international treaty obligations and, and, the, and particularly the 1998 Human Rights Act, so permissively and so liberally, we're not going to be able to be as tough as possible. Now, you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, this is terrible. This puts us in the same camp as Putin. It's nonsense. And, you know, some countries are pretty tough. I think it, the Germans, for instance, I think I might say, and say Albania is not an unsafe country. If you're an Albanian seeking asylum, you won't even get the time of day in Germany. You'll be sent back. I just think we need to take some robust action. I'm very sympathetic to Suella Braverman. I think she's doing yeah, a great job. But it's very, very difficult to turn the ship around. And, you know, even senior former civil servants have said that the system is so bureaucratic that what Parliament decides and what ministers want, don't all, it doesn't always happen because of the, the slow pace mm. of how government changes. And I think that is the difficulty, our, the, whole, the whole way that we govern our country. And that's a much bigger issue than just uh, immigration. Yeah, absolutely right. Because we've seen, haven't we, over just the past couple of weeks, there are uh, law firms which are willing to operate outside of the law to basically get legal aid money uh, to enable illegal migrants to come here and stay legally by constructing a false narrative and making up stories about how they're going to be tortured or how they're gay or how they've got depression in order to stay here. I think we've got to be much harder on these law firms, haven't we? Yeah, we have. And for the very simple reason that people that seek to come into this country by legal means, by proper procedures, and are forced to wait many months and years to have their cases processed, they are inevitably going to be disadvantaged if we are giving priority to people who are essentially coming here as economic migrants. They're young men. They're not families. They're young mm. men seeking to have a better life. Now, I don't decry the fact they want a better life, but I don't. I think there's a basic issue of fairness and equity uh, as between them and other people who are trying to do things legally. The, the fact is, you'll you'll have a lot of people on the left and liberals who say this is a terrible country. We're a basket case economically. Yeah. At the same time, millions of people, literally from across the world revere the United Kingdom and want to come here to make a better life. So, you know, that's a, that's a reality. But let's get our priorities right. And I do think we need to look at the European Convention on Human Rights again, because that's the only way we can make uh, long-term systemic changes to the system. Exactly right. And, and as well as that, you've got the sort of the illegal migrant employment business where, you know, the idea that we're now going to crack down on people who hire people who are illegal. I mean, that's been going on for as long as I've been alive, I think. And that's never going to stop because it's too difficult to stop, isn't it? 
Well, business is quite often addicted to cheap foreign labour, and that's the whole issue, of course, of Brexit. While well, a lot of these companies and businesses are complaining about Brexit because they've they've been used to the sugar rush of of cheap labour, undercutting uh, indigenous work, the indigenous workforce for such a long time. And there are, um, in the same way you say quite rightly that there are unscrupulous and illegal practices by solicitors who incidentally should not just be struck off, but should be subject to criminal sanction, mm. but also businesses. And of course, there are a lot of businesses that do rely on the illegal workforce, what they call the informal workforce, yeah. or the back economy. Uh, and I, I absolutely agree, because you've got to reduce the pull factor. And one of the pull factors is dodgy businesses paying illegal workers. And that there must be consequences for for contravening our um, migration laws. Yeah, absolutely right. Stay with us, Stuart, if you could. We're talking to Lord Jackson, Conservative peer, of course, about a great many things. And coming up, uh, we'll be asking about Tony Blair's uh, belief that we may well indeed end up rejoining the European Union. This is Talk TV. Online, on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We're going to talk about Sir Keir Starmer. We're going to talk about Tony Blair and the European Union very shortly. But first, with Lord Stuart Jackson. Lord Stuart, I want you to have a look at this. This is uh, one of your former colleagues, Matt Hancock, uh, doing the kick-a-kick-a-ken scenario uh, on a beach somewhere in Europe. Have a look. I don't know how well you know Matt Hancock, but I mean, um, you've got to say, he seems to be on a relentless drive to make himself into the most ridiculous man in Britain. I thought he was auditioning for <laughs> It Ain't Off Hot Mum, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Bless him. I mean, you've got to say his, his, his career is coming to an end in politics, but it's not quite taking off in light entertainment. No, it really isn't. Uh, it's a bit a bit pitiful. Uh, he's a bit old to, to be doing that. But, you know, he's on holiday. You know what people are like on holiday. What what, what goes on on the beach stays <laughs> on the beach. Good luck to him. If it, if it cheers him up, then who am I to, to disagree? No. But, you know, he was a serious politician yeah. and Secretary of State for Health. And now he's a sort of like third-rate celebrity. Yes. And, you know, he could do better than that. He's a smart guy. Uh, and I, th I think he's got, he can make a contribution. He just seems to have lost way. his way a little bit, you know. I think he's the only person in in Britain who thinks he's interesting. You know, he's actually not that interesting. Go back to something a bit more serious, perhaps, and stop trying to be entertaining. But there we are. Talk about entertaining. What did you make of Tony Blair at the weekend saying he believes the UK will eventually go back into the European Union? Um, People, of course, as you would expect, are uh, loving the fact that poll after poll after poll seems to be showing people wanting to get back into it. But, of course, they would do that because that's what polling companies like to do, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously when you haven't seen the benefits or the immediate benefits of Brexit, and there have been a number uh, since 2016 or certainly since we left in 2021 fully, then people are going to be a little bit crotchety and a bit grumpy and they're going to say oh actually the grass is greener on the other side of the eu my challenge to tony blair is you know make the case for us paying billions 
into the club, make the case for us having to rejoin the single currency and therefore take massive public uh, sector uh, budget cuts, mm. make the case for uh, an economically shrinking trading block as regards the rest of the world, make the case for a continuing uh, immigration slash refugee crisis and make the case for a continuing democratic deficit, which is one of the reasons why we left the EU in the first place. Yeah. Now, if you can overcome all those obstacles and things like the rollout of the vaccines, which would not have been as quick under the European Union, if we'd still been in the European Union, make that case to people. If you can win the arguments on those issues, and there are a lot of them, good luck to you. Mm. But I can't see it happening anytime soon. Well, all the things that people complain about uh, and blame Brexit for uh, are actually nothing to do with Brexit, are they? Because every economy in Europe is suffering for one reason or another, largely due to uh, either uh, inactivity in the economy, low growth, inflation, uh, you know, in energy costs and all the rest of it, plus whatever the, the, the long drag of the Ukraine war is. Um, so there's nowhere in Europe better off than Britain is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Every time, you know, Tarquin and Jacinda see an avocado missing on the shelf in uh, Waitrose, it's um, it's a Brexit mm. crisis, yeah. which is nonsense because the problem we're having now economically is twofold. It's COVID. It's the, um, it's the mismanagement, frankly, of the Bank of England mm. of inflation and interest rate policy. And it's the Ukraine war and the pressure on uh, the supply chain. Those are the reasons we've got issues and, and other non-Brexit issues like the housing market and other uh, and the mortgage market, which is which is essentially a broken market. Yeah. Nothing to do with Brexit whatsoever. Uh, and in fact, as you quite rightly say, Mike, economically, in terms of the employment market, inflation and growth, um, we're doing as well or better than the other yeah. major and also countries I, I, in the European Union. I wonder whether a lot of the problems in, in, the, in the sort of the mortgage market are in, in, invested in by the Bank of England, who seems to have got nothing right for years. Andrew Bailey doesn't seem to understand the difference between a mortgage rate uh, and borrowing requirements and, and, and inflation. He says he's admitted in the past he can't stop inflation. It's literally his only job. You know, meanwhile, the wokery of the banks has meant that they're not focusing on making money anymore. They're focusing on how many gender-neutral toilets they've got. Yeah, I think the, the specific issue about the Bank of England is um, there was a political consensus about having an independent Bank of England. It was probably right. It was one of the few things Gordon Brown did that I think most people agreed with. But the corollary of that is that you have to have some accountability for whether the bank delivers uh, on its mandate. And at the moment, I don't think there is that accountability. The bank seems to have got away with busting its 2% target, which it did establish, and not properly focusing on interest rate policy. It's now going to go over the top and push interest rates up. There's probably going to be another interest rate rise before Christmas, and that may well tip a, a, a potentially fragile economy slightly into recession. Yeah. You know, they, they, they tend to do the right things way too late, and I think that is the responsibility of the governor uh, and the Bank of England more widely. Exactly right. And let's go to uh, Sir Keir Starmer now, who seems to have suddenly discovered that Just Stop Oil uh, have got what he calls contemptible tactics. He's writing in the Times today, uh, basically saying that, um, oh, maybe I should be friends with the motorists now that it looks like we lost Uxbridge in the by-election because we supported you, Les. Yeah, I think the Uxbridge and South Rysett by-election was quite instructive. That if you 
uh, run a campaign which is focused on an unpopular policy that however uh, upset people are about other policies if it's going to directly affect their pocket they will come out and vote for that candidate who's against that unpopular campaign or that unpopular policy mm. and i certainly expected us to lose the Uxbridge by-election but it was a very very well targeted campaign i will take keir starmer slightly more seriously if he returns the donation he's received from dale vince uh, who has backed Just Stop Oil and other organisations? Yeah. Um, you know the the uh, green tech entrepreneur who's donated to the Labour Party. I think if Dale Vince's uh, donation is returned uh, by the Labour Party, then I think people can conclude that they are a serious party and that, that the uh, words of of uh, Kistarmer are sincere. Yes. Otherwise, it's just positioning in order to play up to the opinion polls. Yeah, and Keir Starmer, uh, sorry, Dale Finns has got so much money. I asked him directly on this programme exactly how much he'd given to the Labour Party and to Just Stop Oil. He doesn't know. He can't remember. That's how much money he's got. Yeah, well, I give to my local church every month £75, and it's modest. And uh, given the state of the Church of England, they need all the help they can get. But uh, to be fair, I know how much I'm donating. (laughs) I don't think I'm ever going to be so rich that I don't know how much I'm giving to good causes in inverted commas. So I I do think what's good for the goose or is is good for the gander Mm. in terms of, you know, the Tory party is relentlessly interrogated about the money it receives from business. I think Labour will begin to get the same scrutiny by the media because, you know, when they're receiving money from people like Dale Vince, people are right, perhaps, to conclude that 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 has perhaps some influence on their policy. Well, I think you'd probably conclude that it does. I mean, Dale Vince, albeit that he is the great philanthropist that he claims to be, will occasionally, I'm sure, have a conversation with Keir Starmer about what he should be doing. But there we are. Lord Jackson, thank you very much indeed. Stuart Jackson, Conservative peer there, uh, talking about a great many things. Coming up, we're going to go back to the migrants because there's several stories this morning uh, that we need to talk to Alp Mehmet about. He's chairman of Migration Watch. And could it be Extension Island uh, where these migrants are end up uh, going to be sent? And also, could the Bibby Stockholm be finally being put into action today uh, down there in the West Country, down in Dorset? We'll let you know. Coming next on Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Ash of Haywood says, Mike, electric car cables, people should wake up. A lot of basement living in London and if all above have their cars plugged in overnight and a flood happened, then people in the basements will be very likely electrocuted, will they not? Uh, where is the London Mayor? Risk management on that. And what's his insurance policy number? Well, a lot of people are starting to ask the question, what if... Uh, this business with electric cars being plugged in all over the place is actually a massive problem because, of course, what we do know is that, one, the electricity kind of cable network cannot actually work well enough at the moment. If everybody's got an electric car and if everybody starts plugging those electric cars in, it's going to be worse and worse and worse for everybody else. And, of course, several of you are saying um, it's quite interesting, isn't it, because what would happen uh, on street parking uh, is going to be great fun. And little Johnny, this is from Brexit Duck, unplugs all the cars and then we can go to work the next morning because there will be kids that will do that and just unplug the plug out of the electric car. Or maybe there'll be a new crowd of Just Stop Oil people, except they won't be just stopping oil, they'll just be stopping electric cars. Maybe. And of course, and then they'll be held as the next lot of uh, suffragettes, won't they? No, somehow they won't. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Alp Menet, uh, Chairman of Migration Watch. Alp, a very good morning to you. 
Good morning to you, sir. Now, we've spoken about Ascension Island in the past. It now seems to have uh, reared its ugly head or its pretty head once more into the uh, uh, conversation about migrants and whether we could send them there. It seems to me that Ascension Island, if it is indeed a British protectorate, a British, a British um, you know, residency, if you like, it might be simpler to send them there than going through Rwanda anyway, mightn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. But you, you, you made a, a very pertinent point. It's British. What happens at the end when those who are being considered are refused? Where do we send them then? Right. I, I think this is a distraction, to be honest, Mike. Okay. It's something that's been thrown in by the government, leaked to the press behind the, the hand of some uh, advisor or other uh, as, as a po- potential a, a possibility. And bear in mind that when we were last talking about Ascension Island, they were also talking about places like Nigeria, mm. and Niger of all places, Morocco. I, I just think that this is, even if it were going to happen, and I'm not against it in principle, offshoring, I think, is is quite, it's, it's a useful way of dealing with this problem. But when will it happen? When will we put in place all the facilities that are necessary? It's, that's why I think it's a bit of a distraction. I think that it's so unlikely, and even if it were to happen, it's going to be so far down the road that it's not worth discussing at the moment. Yes. I mean, as far as the Rwanda policy is concerned, you know, I mean, the Tories keep saying to us that it's going to happen, it's going to work. I mean, all of those naysayers who say it's a terrible place, it's, you know, it's a, a land of, uh, of whatever the opposite of milk and honey is, that people get tortured, people get put in prison uh, unceremonially, they'll be sent back to their uh, home countries. All of that's rubbish, right? Because they won't be sent back to their home countries. It is a place where the UN has sent migrant refugees in the the past it is a perfectly safe place for people to go so why is it so difficult uh, well i agree i agree entirely and when the um uh, court of appeal the the two judges who uh, voted against the government effectively when they did that it was partly on the basis that the un had argued that uh, rwanda is not suitable and yet there's the UN actually making arrangements for asylum seekers, for refugees to be put up in Rwanda. The whole thing didn't make sense, frankly. And that's why I think the government is assuming that uh, when it comes to the Supreme Court making the decision, that it will go back in their favour. We'll see. But all the time, we're another few months down the road. So uh, even if the, the the court, the Supreme Court says yes, we're looking at the whole scheme not starting until January. Well, how many are we going to actually get there? It's it's all really uh, taking so long that you can understand why the traffickers are saying, uh, cocking a snook, as they say, mm. and and telling the government whatever you do, frankly. We're going to keep going because we're making pots of money and there's absolutely nothing that you can do about removing those that we deliver. Well, I think as long as you've got, uh, shall we say, law firms operating illegally, 
giving people uh, uh, the clues to how to stay here by making stories up. And I mean, I'm sure that those three law firms that got shut down last week is the tip of the iceberg. You know, um, of course, they're going to carry on coming. And it is a very, very successful model. The human traffickers know what they're doing. They're even advertising now on TikTok uh, that basically the British legal system um, has kiboshed the Rwanda deal. And that don't worry, as long as you can get yourself to Britain, you'll never be chucked out. Well, sadly, that's absolutely true, as yeah. things are at the moment. They won't be chucked out, and that's why they will continue to come. Until we detain, we hang on to those who arrive illegally, deal with them quickly, and either move them onto a safe third country like Rwanda or back to their own countries. Why can't we send the uh, Indian asylum seekers who are now the second biggest group coming here. Why, why on earth are we uh, contemplating giving any of them asylum? It's, it's absurd. Mm. And frankly, the sooner the government gets real, and that's what's not happening at the moment, with those who are coming, hangs on to them. Doesn't, even if they go on to the BB Stockholm, as uh, we are told may happen today, the fact is that when they are on there, they will have the freedom to come and go as they please and go to ground as often as well, not. Well, I mean, I'm, that's I'm the sure. thing. I mean, this idea that they can come and go, uh, why, how about they just go? Why would they go back? Because the point is, is that they can find their way into any number of different communities. They can find their way into jobs. They can find their way into accommodation uh, because nobody's tracking them. So therefore, nobody knows who they are. People give them a job. I mean, they arrested a load of people in Brighton not very long ago, a few weeks ago, all driving around on mopeds, delivering food. Every single one of them was illegal. Well, yeah, absolutely, Mike. And when, when in fact, people complain about the fact that hundreds of strong, young, working-age men are deposited in their midst, uh, albeit in, in camps, uh, former... Uh, 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 military camps of one form or another when they complain it isn't because they're just being delivered in these camps but they're complaining because those who are there are able to come and go as they please so all of a sudden where the camps are near small communities there you suddenly have hundreds of young people young men free to move about in their midst. Of course they're going to complain about it. That's why once you take someone in, having arrived illegally, then you hang on to them. You keep them there, deal with them quickly and remove them. That's the only way that you're going to discourage more and more to come. And we, we hear that there's 15% fewer coming so far this year than did last year. Well, has anyone looked at the weather? Yeah. What's been going on Well, it there? hasn't been quite you as nice, wait. has it? It hasn't been quite. And the weather appears to be the only thing that stops them, basically. The weather and the tide, the two factors that will actually make things slightly slower down. Because uh, it was Rishi Sunak who said that the 20% figure was the one that was uh, down to his policies, when in fact had nothing to do with his policies at all. Well, I, I, I agree with that, Mike. Absolutely. That it's, it's the weather that's kept them away. However, what it has also shown us that if you are determined about those who arrive, for example, the Albanians, and you hang on to them and remove them quickly, in this case, back to their, their country of origin, 
then it will discourage Albanians from coming here. But we're not doing that with everyone. Mm. That's the problem. And that's why the numbers are going to be, I'm pretty sure by the end of the year, pretty much the way they were last year, 45 to 50,000. Yeah. And what about this new clampdown being ordered by Robert Jenrick, the immigration minister, who says that anyone who gets involved uh, in either employing migrants illegally or renting a house to them illegally or uh, allowing them in any way uh, to become, you know, workers illegally will face ruin, in their words. I mean, you think that's something that they can do? I, I think that we should make it a lot tougher for people to... Um, have the freedom to move around and take jobs, in some cases even pay taxes, um, although not very much, I'm, I'm pretty sure, because they're, they're all getting uh, money in the backs of their hands. Right. We should have been doing something about this and the law, the legislation was in place to do it. I, I remember, I'm pretty sure I had this discussion with you a few years ago, Mike, whereby um, those who are coming here illegally are able to get jobs and employers find their ways around that. And that has to stop. So what uh, Robert Jenrick is saying is, is nothing new. What I would say to him is, Minister, why the hell haven't you been doing this already anyway? Mm. Well, yes, you would think. All the rules that are already in place would suggest that they can already arrest these people. They can already charge them. There's already laws uh, which pre which exist. They don't have to announce another crackdown, really, do they? Yeah, well, at the moment, all we hear is what we're going to do. Um, we never hear about anything about what they have done, what has been done to tackle this problem and that's what i'm really more and more frustrated about because we keep looking to the future about what's going to happen and uh, the labor party has come out with uh, five new ways of stopping the boats for example well if you look at those five proposals <laughs> their five-point plan the government is either doing it already or, in fact, um, they've tried and it won't work. So at the moment, I've got no faith at all, either in the government or indeed uh, the Labour Party, for, to do anything about this problem as things are. They're really governments of whatever hue have to get serious, really, about dealing with something which is a huge problem, but it's going to grow and grow. And they're not doing that at the moment. That's the biggest problem, I think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Al, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Al Mehmet, Chairman of Migration Watch there on the subject of uh, cracking down on people who hire illegal migrants. The government says, uh, in the guise of Robert Jenrick, that they will face ruin. Well, it's already supposedly illegal to do it. You don't have to ruin people, but you do have to discourage them from breaking the law, surely. If you're running a business, you shouldn't be employing people illegally. If you're renting houses to people, you shouldn't be renting houses to people who are illegally here. And if you haven't got the proper papers that they can show you to prove that they should be here legally, then you shouldn't be renting homes to them. It's as simple as that. It's not difficult, is it? 0344 499 1000. Patricia says this. Why are the RNLI allowed to be a taxi service? I always thought they rescued boats and ships in peril. These boats are not in. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just leave them there. Um, and also, uh, one here from um, Ash in Lancashire. The EU signed up a deal with Tunisia to return illegal migrants. Maybe we can to uh, do a deal with Tunisia again. Meanwhile, our High Court decided camping on Dartmoor is legally OK. Asylum seekers and migrants, Marquis City, could be placed next to the prison where they can have water and cooking facilities and a centralised processing centre as well. The National Park paid for facilities. It's a lot cheaper by far. It's good enough for the armed forces. Why not for them? Well, the problem is you can't just keep finding new places to put illegal migrants. You have to stop them coming. There's already 170,000 of a backlash, um, a back... uh draft really of people who haven't yet been able to get their asylum claims properly sorted out so until you stop people from coming that number will never go down will it so it needs to stop this is talk tv on the app on your mobile talk radio and talk tv Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you until one o'clock, of course. And it's time for Ian Collins, who will pick up uh, from one to three. Uh, and then, of course, it will be from three. Um, Alex Phillips, I think it's going to be. I'm not sure. Just getting that uh, confirmed. And then, uh, of course, we'll be doing uh, Vanessa Feltz uh, from uh, five to seven. Jeremy Kyle is very much back in the saddle. Uh, Jeremy Kyle back at 7 p.m. tonight with JK Live. You won't want to miss that. Uh, I'm told it's Jake Berry uh, from three. Uh, so we'll bring you details on that as soon as we have them, of course. Coming up now, though, I'm delighted to say we're going north, back up to Edinburgh, where I spent uh, Saturday night with David Davis. I don't want any of you to start, you know, sort of chuntering at the back, as you might say. Uh, former Brexit Secretary, of course, Tory MP. David, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon. Now, it took me some time to recover yesterday, but I suddenly thought to myself, hang on, you guys are doing this for about the next 10 nights in a row. So you're looking incredibly fit considering uh, uh, the great uh, after after show party that we had in that uh, rather nice Italian restaurant. Yeah, well, I, well, I, I got a run in this morning, um, <laughs> which, which probably helps a bit. But I, I have to tell you, the shock waves of your appearance are still spreading through the conference. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I've been posting on Twitter that we, of course, won the uh, the moral yeah. the moral victory. I mean, it doesn't matter that, that the the eyes had it as far as the actual hands that went up because it's a very salmon friendly kind of uh, crowd, that isn't it? So you oh. you're you're doing a grand <laughs> thing, sort of standing up for everything. That's a picture of me having a go at the flying pickets, the two guys who were flown in in the morning. Uh, by uh, by uh, Mick Lynch to, to basically heckle you and I uh, and start yeah. t- t- telling us that we were all horrible Tory scum. But it was good fun, wasn't it? It was good fun. I mean, everybody's having a fantastic time. I mean, the reactions we get from the audiences are wonderful. Uh, we're doing, I mean, the, 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 the festival this year is not uh, as full as it usually is. I think, you know, people are a bit short of money and so on. But, yeah. the, uh, but so we've still got spare seats for, for, for the upcoming well, we've got Brexit tonight, got uh, Independence tomorrow and so on for the rest of the week. But really good speakers uh, coming on, Claire Fox and Ian Dale, others mm. as well. I mean, I don't think they're going to have the shock effect that you had. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know, these but, but, things these things are set for entertainment as much as, as they as are, of course, set for entertainment. And you're dead right. Of course, I'm here in enemy territory. Basically. You really are. You I, really are. I didn't quite arrive, I didn't quite arrive by parachute, which is what I would have done when I was twenty. But <laughs> but uh, but so we don't we don't necessarily expect to win the votes. I mean, the first day it was quite funny. I, mean, I think I only got quarterway through my speech because of the because of the barracking. Mm. Um, but and but that was independence, fun. wasn't it? Yeah. And then you got last oh, night. Yeah, and, and, of course, and of course, it was an absolutely 100% Alba audience. Yes. I mean, Alex <laughs> Salmon very enthusiastically this morning sent me a, mo- a note to say that the House voted narrowly to abolish King Charles uh, uh, yeah. ov- overnight. So, so that was the debate. And then tonight you've got Richard Tice coming up to be on your side. We've got Richard Tice. We've got Richard Tice coming up. Uh, uh, you know, we've got a whole series of, of good people. As I said, Claire Fox uh, late in the week. Ian Dale, who I think you know, yeah. uh, is is, uh, is doing. I won the Brexit once with me, I think. So you know, it's 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 good quality stuff, and uh, and yeah, but you know, it's also. I mean, I know there was a lot of barracking, a lot of noise, but it's very good natured. I mean, people coming up afterwards. Yeah. You know, I mean, people, you know, I mean, one of the classic things I get online. People saying, "I can't believe I'm agreeing with David Davis." Yes, on this, you know? <laughs> and you get the same sort of thing after the other people coming up saying, "Oh, you made some really good points." I voted the other way, but you know, so so I think um, it's uh, it's it's good, as you say, it's set for entertainment yeah. too. This is the whole point of this in a way. I mean, you know, the last decade, I mean, the, the world sort of dropped into. Uh, the debate has divided into sort of competing echo chambers yes. rather than people engaging with each other, you know. And what you and I were doing, despite the fact we had to uh, counter-barrack the audience sometimes, <laughs> um, was actually talking to them, yeah. you know, making real points, right. you know. And the good uh, thing, I think, as well, for a lot of people um, in perhaps what you might call the Westminster bubble, which I don't think you could ever have been accused of being in, is when you get out of London, you do get a very different perspective on how people see Parliament, how people see Westminster and, and how people see guys like yourself. Yeah, well, my job is pricking Westminster bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely that. And, and of course, what, you're right, it's, it's sort of, it's Remainer Central, mm. for example, where we are here in in, in Edinburgh. Yeah. Uh, but you know, not everybody at the festival is is from Edinburgh. You know, we have people here from England, from from other parts of Scotland, from Glasgow, industrial workers, through to you know, uh, when we had our our debate, a lot of public service workers. Yeah, of absolutely. Um, so so you know, it's it's a real cross section, uh, and the, and the, and the questions are really really intelligent i mean serious serious i mean of course you get standard anti-tory stuff as i'd expect in scotland but the uh but the uh but the it's you know it's quite smart stuff and, and people do really engage mm. so it's you know it's well well worthwhile you know uh and and it picks up topical stuff as going along as well i mean they, they will begin to get back into the news today i see you've got uh, stuff on uh, essential island yeah. and all that well, exactly. Um, I mean, I was going to say, if you have a view on Ascension Island, because obviously on Ascension Island, there's a lot of military activity. There's things that go on there that nobody really knows. But is it a viable uh, alternative suggestion, do you think? Well, I think people talk about it being a backup. I think it's, I think it's a follow up. The, the, what's going to happen? They're going to win the case in court eventually. I mean, yeah. they've not been turned down the law. I mean, the trouble is the Home Office is home. Marginally competent mm. in some of the things it does, right. it keeps tripping over its own feet, and that's what's happened with the the legal the legal findings against it. They will eventually get cleared, but what will happen is you'll find you can only get you know five hundred, a thousand, two thousand mm. 
people to Rwanda before before the facilities fill up. So they're going to need follow up to that because you know that's that's only a fraction of, of what we're going to deal with. Now you know, so I think, I mean, I didn't, I don't, I don't like Rwanda because it's very practical. I think it's really quite difficult problems with it. But you know, it's in the law now. The House has made a judgment. We do it. That's it. You know, right. um, and uh, I think with Ascension Island, it's a possibility, and we own it all for start. Well, that makes it uh, easier it, it, to begin with, doesn't it? If, if it's a it British-owned does, it does. property, yeah, it does. There's some military activity there, but you know we're not a war in the Falklands anymore, so you know we, we don't need it as a staging post. It can, so the room can be made for it. The, the, the important thing to do, frankly, is to make sure that if we do it, it's run properly. Uh, I mean, the the Australian system, which is uh, this is all supposed to be based on Nauru, right, went really badly wrong because what with about three thousand or so uh, people detained there, there were over two thousand uh, complaints of assaults and sexual assaults and so on. You can't have that, you know. Fair enough, make it make it not that attractive to be here. Yeah. Fair enough, put people on barges as long as they're treated in civilized in a civilized yeah. way. I don't care if they have to sleep in a bunk bed. That's that's not human right. right. You know? uh, but when you do it, make sure you stay civilized and disciplined. Well, and I, mean, it's all, I mean, it's always, it's always been an, an odd thing for me to, to have to be convinced that, you know, people fleeing for their lives and probably sleeping in a, in a horrible camp in Calais and or on the streets of Paris are suddenly bulking at the idea they might have to take the top bunk. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, and and this is this is the problem with the Guardian tendency. You know, the yeah. Guardian tendency often support me on civil liberties issues and so on, but they they don't quite realise that what is a human right and civil liberty, and what is a question of comfort. Yeah. You know, uh, and so so there is that. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, the hard truth is we've got to start getting these people sent back yeah. I mean, before Christmas. I wrote with 50 other colleagues to uh, Rishi Sunak to say, oh, take Rwanda, uh, take um, Albania, for example. Mm. Albania is not an unsafe country. There is never any conceivable excuse for claiming asylum from Albania. Right. Uh, you know, I, I've got a better case fleeing the British government to Toronto <laughs> than they have coming right. here. <laughs> you know, uh, so, so that's that. You know, we should have done that much earlier. We took so too bloody long over it. Frankly. Yes. Uh, we should do that with other countries. Countries, civilized countries like Sweden, do it and get away with yeah. it. And they don't have any national courts and so on. So do the Germans. So a, the Germans don't allow anybody to claim asylum from Albania. Full stop. That's it. Yeah. You know. You know why this big surge started? It started because if you look around Europe and you look at the clearance rates, the mm. the agreement rates. You know, if somebody applies for asylum, how many people get through? Uh, for most of Europe, it was zero for Albania, uh, including Sweden. For France, it was about 16%. For us, it was 55% yeah. approval. Well, if you're if you're an Albanian crook running a business, where are you going to take the people? You're going to take them to Britain, aren't mm. you? We asked for it. We, we led with our chin, and we got to stop leading with our chin. And it doesn't require breaking international laws. It, may, it requires implementing intelligent laws in this country. Absolutely right. One final uh, piece of news for you. I don't know if you've seen this, but while you're busy exercising your uh, your faculties up there in, in, in between your ears, you've got some former colleagues uh, who are doing other things. Have a look at this video that was posted yesterday uh, by your former colleague, Matt Hancock.
I think he's on holiday. Um, uh, I'm not sure if he's been partaking of the Uzo or anything like that. But I mean, uh, he's, <laughs> he's he's the only guy I think who thinks he's interesting. I mean, I'm sorry to ask you this question, but what, is, what but, on know, earth I mean, is going on? Well, I, I think there's a man looking for another career. Yeah. Not very successfully, I have to say, <laughs> but looking for another career. And I'm not entirely kidding. I mean, you know, what all, he, all he's done since being out of cabinet seems to have been literally just that, yeah. trying to find an, an, another thing to do with his life. And I, I, to be blunt, I feel slightly sorry for him. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, there was a man you know, on the ascendant, uh, at one point, probably the most powerful man in the country. Yeah. Boris wasn't paying attention, um, and, uh, uh, and now he's him. <laughs> now he's what, what, yeah. Well, you, you can guess for yourself what the public view of him is. Yeah. Uh, and that that video won't have improved it much. No, exactly right. Exactly right. Well, listen. Good luck with it tonight, and great to see you the other Please night. And, tell, uh, you, tell people, tell people they want to come. Yes. You know, if they want to come to the thing, you know, there are walk-in seats at the moment. Because, okay. As I say that the conference. We are one of the most successful shows at the conference. But there's, we've still got some seats back. Yeah, and it's called The Eyes Have It. I'll put out a tweet as well and make sure people can find you. David Davis, MP, former Brexit Secretary, of course, on tonight uh, with um, uh, Richard Tice uh, from these parishes right here against Alex Salmond. And I'm not sure entirely who he's got with him tonight, but uh, we'll find out. We'll put it out on Twitter for you. Uh, but a great place to go, Edinburgh Festival, uh, as I say. Uh, the, the, the Eyes may have had it with the hands and the vote of uh, uh, confidence in, in Alex Salmond and... Uh, supporting public sector strikes, but they were very firmly, uh, in my case, uh, on my side, particularly against the flying pickets of the RMT and Mick Lynch as Talk TV. Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got some breaking news for you. Apparently the first group of migrants has arrived on board at the Bibby Stockholm uh, barge in Portland Port in Dorset. More people expected to embark later on Monday. We'll get footage of that uh, as soon as we can, but apparently we're told that the first lot of migrants has now arrived uh, onto the barge. We were just talking to David Davis MP there about why uh, it is that some some people who want to be uh, housed there have been complaining about the use of bunk beds. Of course, we had the delay last week uh, where health and safety um, inspectors declared it might be a fire risk. But of course, the only reason it might be a fire risk is if somebody sets fire to it. So that's not really a fire risk. That's just a thing that you have to stop people from doing. But let's talk now to Dr. Peter Walsh, who's a senior researcher at the Migration Observatory, Oxford University, uh, because there's papers about uh, out and about all over the place, uh, not least uh, from the conservative group called the New Conservatives, uh, who are uh, a, a bunch of red wall Tory party MPs who have said that they actually have got some propositions for a migration policy in this country and how uh, it should be more limited, how it should be more tightly controlled, and we'll find out uh, now from Dr. Peter uh, precisely what the Migration Observatory thinks about all of that. Uh, Dr. Peter Walsh, very good uh, afternoon to you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so, first of all, I suppose I should ask you about the first intake of the um, uh, of the Bibby Stockholm. There were a lot of people who thought it might not happen, that it might actually get just delayed and delayed and delayed and, and postponed to such a point where nothing uh, was ever actually going to happen. In fact, we had some reports this morning that the Home Office were denying even that, that they were going to arrive today, but they appear to be arriving. Um, how do you see this? Do you see this as any kind of sort of um, elastoplast over a gaping wound? Or do you see it as something that's helpful? What do you make of it? Yeah, I'm sympathetic to the first um, analogy, uh, given the capacity, uh, which, you know, maybe 500 individuals, of course, uh, small boat arrivals uh, continuing at over 1,000 a month. Um, but the government, no doubt, will view this 
as a success, there were all sorts of questions raised about its viability, but people are going to be there today. But more broadly, I suppose it's an indication of challenges in other areas, mm. most notably the huge backlog of asylum cases, yeah. over 170,000 individuals, uh, 50,000 of whom are being housed in hotels at a cost of six million pounds a day. So yeah. it's really the reason why the government's had to rely on innovative contingency accommodation like this is because of that huge backlog and really slow processing times. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me, and, and, and feel free to disagree with me, but it seems to me that until and unless the, the numbers are stopped from coming on such a, on, on such a large basis... The, the backlog will never really get addressed because the only sh- because you know the more uh, people that arrive the the, the the quicker than the backlog can be dealt with then clearly the number the, you know the overall number isn't going to be reduced is it yeah that's correct and actually the government spoke today about increasing processing time and having reduced what they call the legacy backlog by a third so that's from 90,000 to 60,000 cases yeah. but those are the cases submitted before the 28th of June mm. last year and of course there are all those flow cases to use the government terminology that have come in since then Hmm. and i suspect that when we include those to look at the overall backlog the overall backlog probably hasn't moved all that much no that is the problem and i mean as far as the way that the, the the processing is going on obviously we find that an awful lot of the processing once it's done uh, grants asylum anyway and in my view m- much of that happens because so many people have been waiting for such a long time i mean the problem now is, is that if you do refuse an asylum claim there's nowhere really to send anyone yeah that's the great challenge especially if they've come from countries like iran iraq mm. afghanistan syria yemen we're not returning people to those countries but not everyone from those countries does qualify for asylum and is actually granted it right. we have a real problem now with removals um, we just countries aren't taking back their refused asylum seekers thousands over the past few years. So that is another enormous challenge that the government is looking into. And of course, this is where the Rwanda scheme comes in. But that currently mired in the courts. It's going to be in front of the Supreme Court, probably in October. You know how long these legal challenges yeah. can take court cases, probably be a few months until we get a verdict there. Right. Now, looking more specifically at some of these um, suggestions that are being made by by the Conservative group uh, of MPs, um, your organisation, I think, has been a bit critical of some of them, or you think it's a bit too simplistic. Tell us, tell us what you like and what you don't like. Well, the one thing you can't allege the report of being is unclear. It actually makes clear, concrete proposals, yeah. um, which actually distinguishes it of, uh, amongst reports of this kind. Uh, Perhaps it could have discussed more some of the trade-offs. So, for example, removing the exemption to allow health and care workers into Mm. the country. Okay, that is an industry that's become pretty reliant on foreign labour. So to actually correct for that, you would probably have to increase government investment in that sector to improve wages and improve conditions. So, you know, there's that that has to be considered. Also, international students. So the proposal certainly would reduce the number of international students they pay sometimes two three times the cost in tuition fees and universities that's a really important source of revenue for them they use it to subsidize research and the education of home students so the report could have considered some of these trade-offs but it is very clear in identifying which are the eggs that need to be broken to make the omelette 
to reduce net migration. Yes, because you're talking, of course, not only about um, the illegal migrants, but also the, the 1.2 million people who came here in 2022, um, which was a, a you know a gross number, which was reduced down to sort of 600,000. It does does seem though the student system does seem slightly kind of unwieldy to me because one is one there's an awful lot of people coming in, and yes, I accept that universities individually will benefit from that financially. But it's not clear that the country benefits from it financially, you know, and some people will say, well, of course, the students will, will then contribute to the local economy, they'll rent properties, they'll do an awful lot of spending of money and that kind of thing. And yes, that might be good. But it's also not clear how many of them then hang around after the course is over and are still basically here because the, it seems to me that the, the, the sort of the, the monitoring, if you like, of who goes out of the country isn't very good. Well, actually, we have fairly good statistics on the numbers of students that leave that leave after their graduation. Mm. It's about ninety percent or so. So the big majority do leave. Right. Remaining ten percent, what we see there are particular nationalities that actually take advantage of those post-study work rights. So we're talking about Indians yeah. and Nigerians. And actually, when you speak with some of those, it's quite clear that actually they're coming in really for those post-study work rights. Okay, the student mm. visas are part of that pathway, but what they yeah. really want is work here longer term and stay and settle in the country. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought I thought was slightly odd was the fact that if you are coming here as a foreign student, you can bring dependents. And it's not clear how, again, how many of those come um, and how many of those are counted as coming as students, if you like. It's not, you know, I don't know how specific they are. Yeah. So we do have numbers on that. So in 2022, it was upwards of 80,000 individuals came as the partners or children uh, of graduate students, mostly one year master's students. And actually, this is something uh, that the new Conservatives report proposes to restrict to only allow PhD and two year master's students to bring in their close family members. And I think the argument can more persuasively be made for long term students. Uh, but you're right, there have always been questions raised about whether it's appropriate. Uh, for master students, one-year students, hmm. to bring their dependents. And we think actually a lot of their family members, you know, the, the partners, uh, go on to work in local industries. Yeah. But... And one of the arguments that's made about many of the illegal migrants that come in is that they have family members here already, and that's one of the reasons they come here. And it sounds, I mean, I'm, I may just be jumping the gun on this, but it sounds to me like a, a system that could well be abused, and, and particularly with people who come into the country without really identifying who they are. And if you say you are from Iran and nobody's sure whether you are or not, but you have no papers, it's hard to prove. If you say you've got a brother who lives in Leicester, it's also hard to prove that he's actually your brother, isn't it? It is very difficult, and that's a challenge that the Home Office uh, faces, and it has done for many years. And that's probably a part of the reason why so few of people who have arrived by small boat have actually had their claim processed. It does take a long time for the Home Office to get to the bottom of these cases. But what's interesting is that, you know, of the 1% or so that have been processed, actually quite a high share have been granted, you know, around 90% um, or so. That doesn't include Albanians, of course, who actually have really low success rate and there is evidence of certainly abuse there um, but that's you know those are the statistics and the government will end up processing those cases because this illegal migration act the most important parts of it haven't come into play yet they are waiting for that supreme court judgment on the right. and and as far as the ascension island story this morning um what do you make of that and and if rwanda is to go ahead will it go ahead will it not go ahead what's your what's your take on that yeah, so it was in September 2020 that the Ascension Island was first raised. Now, interestingly, there was a feasibility study carried out by the government then, and it found that it just wasn't viable because a lack of infrastructure, water, power, there wasn't a hospital. 
So I think what we can say is if that were to go ahead, and some people suggest it is just saber rattling and it's largely symbolic politics, then it would probably require mm. quite substantial initial investment, yes. uh, which may which may put the government off. Um, let's assume Rwanda does go ahead. Then the question is how many people will we be able to send there? Because if small boat arrivals continue at the present rate, tens of thousands uh, a year, Rwanda at the moment has capacity only for a few hundred individuals. So there are real questions about whether we'll be able to send sufficient numbers to Rwanda for this policy to have its much needed and wanted yes. impact. I have the feeling you and I were having this conversation for a while, um, uh, Peter, but uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much indeed. Dr Peter Walls, Senior Researcher at the Migration Observatory uh, at Oxford University. Coming next, we're going to take some calls. Uh, we'll have the world of woke, of course, as well. Ian Collins coming up uh, just before one. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, one of the stories we were talking about earlier uh, was the basic problem with the criminal fraternity because uh, not only now are we finding out that it's very, very difficult to actually bring charges against anybody, uh, it turns out that something like um, so many people are being arrested now and so many people are being found guilty by the police, or at least uh, crimes are being solved, shall we say, but nobody's actually being brought to justice. Nobody is actually facing any charges. At least half of crime now uh, solved by police results in no charges whatsoever. And the other slightly more worrying story today uh, is that more than 500 sex offenders appear to have gone missing. So, rapists, paedophiles, general sex offenders have just not been monitored because nobody knows where they are. Now, I was listening to a minister earlier on today uh, who was urging the uh, police and various different uh, law enforcement agencies to actually fix this problem. And apparently they are going to try very, very hard. But the fact that we've lost them in the first place Seems really, really bad, doesn't it? Let's talk now to Sergeant Rich Cook, Chair of the West Midlands Police Federation. Uh, Rich, a very good afternoon to you. Afternoon, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. Let's kick off, first of all, with these sex offenders. I mean, I realise that it's difficult to monitor so many people all the time, but, but when you've got people who are clearly dangerous and who are clearly uh, people that, that the public should be safeguarded from, it beggars belief that they can literally just disappear, doesn't it? Yeah, I agree, and uh, the public are going to be, um, you know, disturbed by such such headlines. I mean, to, to put it in context, I was speaking to a colleague in um, in Walsall, which is an area of, of uh, West Midlands, yes. about three hundred thousand people population. They've got about they manage about four hundred sex offenders, which range in risk from mm. low, medium, high. The, there's only about twenty high risk offenders of that. And there's about six officers managing that. So the workloads are very high. Mm. Um, the requirements are different depending on the risk. So a high-risk um, offender would have to uh, register or report to the police on a sort of a weekly basis. Your low risk would be perhaps once a year. So, you know, I think there's about 60 in my force that, that we can't locate at mm. the moment, which, which is too many, once too many. I mean, the point I would make is on the high-risk ones, why are they even out anyway? If we've got high-risk sex offenders who are rapists, they should be in prison. And, and yeah, the government tightened up and said, yeah, we, you know, we'll, we'll keep them in for two-thirds of the stated sentence. They should be serving every day of their sentence. And only if they behave themselves should they ever get out and the risk has come down, you know. But unfortunately, the prisons are full. We've got this backward pressure. Um, 
they've just extended the home detention curfew mm. scheme to from three to six months. So uh, many offenders across the board can be released even earlier um, than they would have been, and that includes some sex offenders. So you know, I think there's a there's a complex problem here. But I mean, it starts with making sure we've got prison places available to protect the public from these most outrageous, um, heinous criminals. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, I don't know what it involves when you actually have somebody under surveillance, but I presume that these people who are being monitored are not wearing uh, electronic bracelets or anything like that. Otherwise, it'd be simple to work out where they are. So, so what is the is the sort of um, um, the, the, the qualification, I suppose, if you like, for people to be under that type of surveillance where you can tell where they are all the time? Yeah, I mean, it's not my area of expertise, Mark, but I, I know that the, the most high-risk um, offenders, if they're released into the community either on early release, some are on sort of life licences if it's a, a, a very, very serious yeah. offence, and we work with probation, and sometimes there's a difference between the police and probation in whether whether activities that we know they're getting up to are serious enough to recall them to prison or not. Yeah. You know, hopefully in most cases we agree, but we think that they should be recalled to prison far sooner mm. for any sort of um, behaviour that, that's worrying. Absolutely. Um, you, you know, so there's also there's all sorts of things like this going on, but you know. The bottom line is, we the, the safest place for serious sex offenders is behind bars, mm. and that, that's where they, they well, that's where they should be, Mike. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Another weird story that I saw at the weekend concerns a man who was sent to prison for ten years and was actually forced to serve the full ten years for horrific abuse uh, of his partner, one of the worst domestic violence abusers in history, apparently. Um, he, he's been trying to, to keep his story out of the press, but he was unable to gag the press. And his name is Craig Thomas. He's been released in June. And the woman that he was formerly a partner of and who he beat up in a terrible way uh, is basically living in fear of her life. I mean, he's been told he can't enter the uh, uh, the environs of, of the geographical environs of Cardiff. But she's already put out a message to her friend saying, you know, if he kills me, please look after my kids and my dog. It seems extraordinary. You know, I know he served his sentence. But, I mean, some of the things he did to her were just horrific. You know, he beat her up. He made her eat photographs of people that were her loved ones. Um, he made her, um, you know, stand naked. He made her sleep standing up. Um, just incredible stuff. Really, obviously, a very um, warped and twisted individual. Beat her with hammers, stabbed her in the back. You know, what on earth uh, is he doing being released? Yeah, 100%, Mike. I mean... Um... We've, we've got to get far tougher on persistent criminals, uh, criminals who've clearly shown a high propensity for risky offending like that. And, you know, it, it comes down to the courts, the CPS. Yes, the police, have, 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 you know, we've got to do our bit. But time and time again, we do do our bit. We put them before the courts. We get them. We get them charged. Mm. The investigators put the work in to get all the evidence. It takes months. In most cases, the vast majority, we don't. The custodial sentence, you know, is is a distant hope. You know, we've got people mm. who've committed fifty odd offences who've never been to prison. Yeah, it, 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 the system is a joke. You know, in terms of criminal justice. Yeah, and unfortunately, it has been like that for the whole of my service, which is twenty three yeah. years, to varying degrees. But mm. I think it's getting worse. 
Um, you know, and I just think the people who set the agenda in this country are the people who aren't affected by the crime. Yeah. Because, it's, you know, if, if the real members of the public set the uh, penalties, we would find we would have a lot tougher criminal justice. But also, you know, it's important to stress that we need to do both prevention, but also the cure. And, 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 and people need to be punished and there needs to be deterrence. Yes, and I'm, I'm sure that's right. I mean, half of crimes solved by police resulting in no charge sounds bad enough, but it's actually an improvement. Uh, on 2015-2016 when um, the numbers of, of solved crimes that resulted in a charge uh, were 63.7%. Um, so, you know, it's 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 less than half now, basically. So we're not doing very yeah. well. I think there's a few there's a few complex things going on there. I mean, we've still got a big backlog um, from the COVID pandemic, believe it or not. I mean, mm. a close colleague of mine is at Crown Court today with a case that he dealt that was charged five years ago. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. And and so there's been a backward pressure from the the criminal justice system through the CPS to keep more cases out of court, yeah. which you would probably argue is the exact opposite of what we need to be doing. But at the same time, we've got these, I think, crazy home office crime recording rules, which means we're recording far more offences, which are basically technical offences. I'll give you an example of one I came across. was an old man who was shaking his walking stick at at his neighbour. And the neighbour complained to the police that she was harassed by that. And, you know, that that is never going anywhere. There's no public interest Mm. in that. That's something historically we wouldn't have recorded. But But because of the perception of that person, we are. We have to record that crime, yeah. and there's so many other offences like that, which are Facebook spats. Someone called me a name on hurty name on mm. uh, Facebook or Twitter, right. you know, and these these get recorded as crimes. So we have had a vast expansion in the numbers, and that will have had an impact on the proportions charged. Mm. But you know, th- there's there's a lot going on, um, but there's no doubt we we need to charge more, in my view. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt without that at all. Sergeant Rich Cook, thanks very much indeed. Chair of the West Midlands Police Federation there, uh, giving his views on some of the things that are going on out there. Five of his sex offenders going missing because uh, they've not worked out how to monitor them properly. And meanwhile, only half of the crimes actually solved by the police, and you know that that is already a pretty low number, actually result in hardly any charges being brought at all. Half of them, 50%. Hopeless. Uh, Alan says, Mike, with reference to the migrant crisis, why not tag every illegal as soon as they arrive? That way the authorities would know exactly what their movements are every day and if they are working in the black market. Failing that, the only other way, sadly, will be internment camps with the option of a free ticket to home when they decide they've had enough. Well, there's got to be something else that has to be done as opposed to putting people in hotels, giving people free food, free money, putting them on a bibby Stockholm, a barge where uh, they can leave at will whenever they wish to, never have to go back, not really being monitored. Nobody really knows what they're up to. You know, what a ridiculously shambolic system. You know, if you want to come to this country and expect to be treated well when you come illegally, then you should not necessarily accept that. And if you want to be treated, uh, you know, with respect, then you have to turn up with your papers and say, look, this is my genuine story. This is why I'm fleeing Iran or whatever it is. But actually, most of them don't do it that way. Most of them come, get rid of all their stuff in the channel, get rid of their phones. They can't be tracked and they just come in and then disappear. It's as simple as that, isn't it? 
Uh, Paul says this, it is not very often we hear a police officer talk sense these days. Refreshing to hear many of Sergeant Cook's thoughts. Sadly, much of the rubbish emanates from the College of Policing. Well, I think that's true. And I think we know that. 0344 499 1000. We're almost at the end of the show. Ian Collins will be coming in and we'll take more of your calls. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.